everybody, Mark P. Fisher here with Inspiring Growth, your chief encourager, and I am thrilled today to have three men on the podcast to tell their stories of innovation and struggle and how they have seen the world of camp, retreats, and conference centers shift and adjust all over the place, not just recently, but from its origins. So I want to tell you who's in the room. First of all, depending on how you're viewing this, in my lower left-hand corner is John Ashman. John, welcome. Thank you. John and I have been friends for well over 25 years. He was the vice president of Christian Camping and Conference Centers. That's where we first got to know each other. As a matter of fact, it was at a national convention that John sort of took me aside and said, you're asking some really interesting questions. I'd really like you to start asking those questions in a larger forum. And I just thought to myself when I went home that night, I was talking to my wife about that conversation. I was newly married. And I said, I met a guy that believes in me more than I do. John has blown wind into my life. As a matter of fact, he is now the president of CityGate Network, formerly known as the AGRM or the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions. John called me when I was having health issues back in 2013 and invited me to be a part of raising awareness and money for over 300 homeless shelters around the country, which led into a partnership with Paramount and the promotion of a movie called Same Kind of Different as Me. John Ashman is the man who handed me that book and said, I think this book will make a difference to you. He also is very involved in what's going on around the world as it relates to homelessness. These days, particularly with HUD and HHS, what does that stand for, John, HHS? Health and Human Services. And, and he's been involved at the White House. Um, he's been around Christian camping and homeless work for many, many years. Uh, you can also go back in the podcast and hear two sessions that John did. One was on radical rebranding and the other was called radical hospitality. So I'm so glad that John is here. John and I are going to have a conversation at the beginning of the podcast about origins and innovation. And then later in the podcast, you're going to meet Jim Blake. Jim has served as the executive director of Alliance Redwood Camps and Conference Grounds since 1998 beautiful coastal redwoods uh, in California. Pre-COVID budget, what, what was your pre-COVID budget, Jim? Just shy of 10 million. Okay. And do you have any predictions on what it could be post? Uh, forecast is about 5 million. That's about on average what most camps, retreats, and conferences, about a 50% reduction. But it's a place that has multiple programs, unique guest accommodations, spectacular high ropes and zip line courses, uh, he's also been an advisor to the board for the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. And a little known fact, he's a licensed river guide. And he had a company called the Windfall Whitewater Rafting Company in the state of Maine. Did you sell that or what did you do with that? Yeah, I actually sold it to Bob Strodel up at uh, Brookwoods and Moose Route Post took over that business. They were one of my bigger clients. And they took it over when I left there. So. I love that. Bob Strodel has history in organizations I've been involved with called Sandy Coast. So, and then also we have from Santa Rosa, California, Jeff, Jeff Gilman. Uh, it's north of San Francisco and Jeff runs the Redwood Gospel Mission. And he's been doing that for almost 40 years. Is that right, Jim? Yeah, I'm an old man. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, not old enough or not, not so old that you can't innovate. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about because you've been involved in leadership at missions in Richmond and Redding, California. You've, you've had a heart to serve the hungry, the homeless, the abused, the addicted. 
um, I, I know you have lots of education with degrees from Central Washington University and Multnomah University, and you also completed your graduate studies in nonprofit administration from the University of San Francisco. So welcome to the team. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you. Okay, so there's a lot. John, I'm, I'm going to direct this question to you to start with. A, a lot of what's going on and that we're going to talk about is about modifying ministries, organizations, nonprofits to engage with new opportunities, really to, to be adaptable. And we know that sometimes organizations choose to make changes and sometimes they're forced to make changes. I think COVID has done that for all of us. Now, John, not too long ago, you and I were talking about the idea of putting this change in a different narrative, in a different context, a context of seasons. Could you take us down the path of that conversation and how you came up with that idea that this is a season? Sure. Um, when COVID-19 was starting to wash across the nation, um, my pastor started a series on Ecclesiastes. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty, pretty interesting book, particularly this time of year. Life's going to hand you highs and lows. Uh, don't despair. Uh, realize that God is sovereign. Hang on and, and move forward. And there's uh, a famous passage in there, of course. The birds made it famous. For everything, there is a season, and a time for every purpose under heaven. And when you start talking about seasons, uh, we, we divide up a lot of what we do into seasons. And they're not just 13 weeks. You know, you have planting season. And if you don't get the seeds in the ground within two weeks, the season's over. And then there's baseball season. It's part of the spring and all of summer and part of the fall. Then you have seasons of life, and that could be 30 years in, in one particular part of your life. Ministries have seasons. Um, you remember evangelistic crusades. I remember my dad taking me to see Billy Graham in Municipal Stadium in Philadelphia. Uh, remember Campus Crusade uh, had seasons. Campus Life had seasons. I remember in campus life clubs, you used to get teenagers to sit on the floor in somebody's living room and sing together. You know, good luck trying that. That's not going to work today. Yeah, no. And, uh, and you know, Promise Keepers is a ministry that had its season. Still around, but it, it just, things change and you have to be adaptable to the season. The insightful people look forward to see when is this season going to end and what will the next season be? We don't do that too well in Christian organizations. I remember somebody at the Engstrom Institute giving this illustration several years ago. He said, if you were into manufacturing, let's say you were doing shirts and you had this great shirt idea, you would fly over to Vietnam and set up the, set up the, the shop and uh, the production. You come back to San Francisco and you work with the people who are going to ship it across the Pacific. Uh, then you talk to the hub group who's going to take it by rail across the country. You go to Madison Avenue, you'd set up your marketing, and then you'd sit back and start the clock. And January 1, the first shirts are coming off the line. By, uh, by January 15th, they're on boats. And by February 1st, they're at rail stations and heading across the country. By February 20th, you're starting to look at what your sales are. And a, a, a savvy business person, if the sales aren't where they projected by, let's say, uh, March 15th, you immediately fly back to Vietnam, you shut down the line, and you retool it to do something else. Unfortunately, in Christian ministries, there are a lot of people who have products on their shelf 
that haven't sold for decades, but they don't care because it was started by uh, somebody who was a founder, or they still think because it's Christian, it will have use somewhere. And we have to get get to the point where we're ready to say, this isn't doing what it was intended to do, or maybe initially doing, and it's time to retool and do something else. You know, and I, I'm not saying this as a blanket statement that Christian camps uh, need to shut down and do something else, not at all. Uh, I'm very involved in camping. Many many of the organizations in CityGate Network have their own camps, uh, and I've been close to it for. I grew up in a Christian camp. I uh, I directed a Christian camp for 15 years. I was the COO at Christian Camp and Conference Association for 15 years, probably. And uh, when a camp closes, we just talked about one before we started. Another one uh, in West Virginia closing. You know, it's like to me a distant cousin dying. You know, it, it, there's a little bit of remorse. But we have to ask, what season is it? Jenny Davis from over in New Zealand sent me an email back in, I guess, March and said, John, I remember when you spoke at the CCI Australia event. Now it's called uh, Christian Venues over there. But she said, uh, your message was God births new ministries out of desperation and pain. And she says, right now we're in pain. I don't know of a single camp in the in the world that's operating. We'd love to hear your thoughts Let's, let's talk about this. We exchanged emails and I've been talking to several people about it. I still, you know, after 30 years in camping, I still have a lot of friends and we talk quite a bit. So there are seasons and we have to look where we are now. What season is this? And what is the coming season? Yeah, I, you know what? Jenny Davis has been a great advocate too for the work we're doing with Inspiring Growth. Uh, we had a webinar last week uh, with 100, I think it was 153 different camps around the world. Jenny was pushing it out to countries, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, she was a, she was a great advocate. But I, I think this idea of seasons also can be illustrated in uh, what I call uh, the surfboard illustration. Uh, because in my experience over time, people will say, hey, we need to run a program for fathers and sons or mothers and daughters. Or we need to have a men's thing or a women's thing or a summer camp or winter, whatever it is. And a lot of time and energy is put into that and nobody comes. And people ask me, especially because of inspiring growth and the work I do in the hospitality industry is, you know, we're building it and people aren't coming. Well, I, li I like to say it this way. It's easier to find the waves and put your surfboard in front of it than it is to make waves. Making waves is expensive and hard yeah. and take a long time. So when we look out, I was talking with one of my Inspiring Growth VIP clients recently, and they had done a father-son camp, and nobody came. And I said, well, why do you think that is? And we, I, we performed this thing called an autopsy without judgment. We look at the dead carcass and go, what happened? And what happened was a bunch of programmers came up with an idea but they didn't talk to their audience to see if they'd buy it. It's just like that shirt illustration. We have an idea, we put it out there. Shifting and releasing that space for maybe a guest group or something is one of the hardest things I've found within camps and conferences centers. So, you know, I, what I'm hearing you say, John, is that there's seasons, seasons in the world of camping, retreating. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, we did the Karen series when I was at, at 3CA and uh, a great, I, I don't know where they are now, they're on CDs, uh, but great history in camping. And there are a lot of camps that have been around uh, for for decades and decades, centuries, you know, it's, you get, well, not centuries, but a century and more. 
uh, and you get um, some of those New England camps, you know, I think it was at Mount Hermon 1906 or something like that. Uh, you have some, some places that, have, uh, that are connected to Bible conferences that have been around forever. But the pig and the python, if you will, of, uh, of camping started post-World War II, after the Korean War, for example. And you go back and you look at when that big rush of camps come along. And it was after all these people had foxhole conversions. It was, God, get me out of this mess and I'll do anything for you when I get back to the U.S. or Canada or Australia, whatever it happened to be. And they did. They came back and they weren't pastors. They weren't book people, but they knew how to work with their hands. And, and, they, and they did what they would do in a setting like they were used to. And they started camps. And uh, it was military and based for a lot of, if you remember, you think back to the camps in your youth, at least my youth, uh, you got up with Reveille, uh, you went down to the flagpole for flag raising, you did calisthenics, and then you played uh, capture the flag for a while, then you went to the mess hall for lunch, and you had Vesper services in the evening, and you went to bed with taps. You know, I mean, that was a... That's very military. Yeah, that was, that was very, that was very seasonal in mind. And then we had uh, seasons that followed, you know, I, I remember uh, the 70s in wilderness camping. And uh, to me, that was a season where we looked around and said, what can we do in response to the hippie movement and or the Jesus movement? And we started wilderness camp. And you got these people who love to wear the same clothes for a week and they didn't smoke weed, but they ate gorp, you know, and, and they took trips back into, into the woods. And it was a, a way to get to know Christ. And it was a new season for, for ministry. Uh, and then you had what I call the extreme season, a lot of camps. Uh, we're just going faster and faster. I remember one camp that had a slogan, if we don't send your kids home filthy, dirty, and dead tired, we haven't done our job, you know, which uh, kind of got away from the original getting away in solitude idea of camping. So, you know, a new millennial came, millennium came around and younger generations, and they were interested in doing more, going further. Uh, you know, I'm talking to generations I've never seen a generation like what we have now that wants to leave the world in a better position than they found it. The camps, you know, we kind of stuck to what was that season when we got really healthy back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And, and we kept our new generations of people tied to the ways that we've always done things. We, we, instead of them going places, we kept them in one spot and we narrowed their focus and we took away their communications. So it was a real clash of culture, but uh, it fit with the philosophy of the past, but we're not really tracking with the seasons in many places. Yeah, until recently, until COVID-19, a lot of camps have been really strong and vibrant. I, I know across the country, the ones that I've been working with, we've seen 20, 30, 40% growth. But you know, what's, what do you think's kept them that way, John? Well, indeed, Mark, there are a lot of camps that are doing well, um, but you know, they there are we're losing some regularly. You know, big conference centers saying we've we've had it. You know, even when I was at three CA, we were seeing some go denominational camps, and I think they're somewhere close to twenty percent fewer camps in in the association than there were uh, ten years ago. Yeah, uh, but the ones that have been strong have really had unique niches. I, I call some the rite of passage camps. 
You know, that would be places like Deerfoot Lodge in New York, you know, where you went because your dad went and his dad went and you're the fourth generation from that family to go. And you're still going to go out and canoe and hike the Doug Mountains and all that stuff where you've got uh, Hume Lake, which is that was a rite of passage for every young person in the Central Valley of California. You got to Hume Lake, New England, where camping had such great roots, a lot of rite of passage camps there. Then you would have high energy camps, and that brings people back because there's a lot of sports. You know, I think of the Skokowood Sports Resort or Spring Hill or K Camps is another great illustration. And then you have what I call um, Culmination camps, so that would be like Young Life. You know, you, you work all year with a small group and you're in group settings with the Young Life clubs and then you it culminates by going to camp. And it's, there's a purpose that ties to a, a bigger ministry organization. And then you've got special needs camps, special skills camps, special training camps, uh, camps that are third places. You know, you've heard that term for their communities. These places are strong. It's the ones that don't have a strong identity that are the most vulnerable at this point. So the key to survival is not just promoting what you have, but projecting what you could become and then figure out the funding for it. Yeah. And that, and that folks, as you're staying with us here, is what we're going to talk about uh, with, with Jim Blake and Jeff just about some innovative ideas that camps are doing uh, across the country. And I, I, but I remember, John, you were talking to me about a Swiss watchmaker. And I think it was something you were talking about, but remind me of that illustration. An old time illustration. Yeah. You forget. I'm amazed you remembered it. It was, uh, I I guess the, the story was this company in Zurich, made the best switch Swiss watches with the, all the gears and the springs and the jewels and, and the finery that goes into watchmaking. But they, they were just working hard to compete against the quartz watches that were coming out of Japan and different places. And uh, they worked and worked to, 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 to make it better to um, try to get their costs down and, and, and kept at it for a long time. It's kept seeing their margins slip and they eventually went out of business. And what they were told was you lost sight of what you really were supposed to be doing. You thought you were in the watchmaking business. You were really in the time-telling business. And you couldn't adapt with what was coming next. And I think that goes across a lot of um, industries, especially, you know, I I heard somebody talking about the owner of a professional sports team. And he just kept reminding everybody, we're not in the football business. We're in the entertainment business. And I know when I was president of Sandy Cove, there was a lot of conversation about who we were. And when I said to people, board members, when you tell people you serve on the board, what do you tell them we do? And they said, well, we're a fishing camp ministry. And uh, as time has evolved, what we really are across all camp, conference, and retreat centers is we're in the hospitality business. We serve people when they get away. For some, it's to connect with God and others in, in creation. But what we really do is we serve up hospitality, which is at the core of the gospel when you, when you really unpack it all. Serving strangers, helping others, caring for the needy, and um, being an encouragement. The organization I took over, Mark, was that way. It was uh, Association of Gospel Rescue Missions, it was soup, soap, and salvation, and rescue was the word that everybody connected with. And, you know, I, I'm seeing these organizations, and they, they hired me, and they said, w- would you uh, 
would you help drag us kicking and screaming into the 20th century? And I said, I think you mean the 21st century. And their words were, let's do it one at a time. And, and so we had to uh, we had to look at what we were doing and, and this whole idea of making people come into a chapel service and hear uh, one more time that they were going to hell before they could get the meatloaf that they were smelling cooking in the next room to me says that this is who we are that we're most most pathetic of all Christians and so we've we've seen missions radically change that we've totally rebranded and we've gone away from what we're calling. Uh, the the uh, soup, soap, and salvation model to uh, eight S's. And the eight S's are saved. That means saving somebody's life. You know, when you take a needle away from somebody who's about ready to overdose, you've saved their life. Or you fling open the door for somebody who's running away from the pimp, you've saved their life. Or if there's a 10-month-old whose brain and body development isn't where it should be because they have poor nutrition, you've saved a life. And then the next is sober. You know, that's that no longer controlled by stimulants or depressants. The next one is stable. That's mental health. And that's uh, physical health, medical respite care. The next is schooled, helping with basic education and social skills. The next is skilled. That means not putting somebody into a job. You know, a job is is waiting tables and busing or parking cars. We're talking about careers. And then it's secure. That means you're getting enough money from this. And then settled. That means you have your same safe place to come back to every night and then serving. So those eight S's represent the new season for us as we have moved missions into what we call the city gate network. And, it, and it's made a huge difference. And, and I remember the three S's uh, and I knew homeless shelters or rescue missions or places where people just had to stand in line because I spent the night in one in Denver, Colorado, dressed up as a quasi hobo, walked in. I wanted to feel what it was like to, to actually live, eat, commune in a, a rescue mission. And uh, I remember I stand in line to get dinner, waiting for that, uh, you don't want to go to hell message. And a guy tapped my shoulder and I turned around and he was probably about a mid forties African-American guy. And he looks at me and he goes, what the hell is your white honky ass doing in the ghetto? And I, I was like, uh, I'm here the same reason you, I'm here to get something to eat and someplace to sleep. He goes, what you do? And I said, well, I'm a storyteller. I literally didn't know what to say. And he goes, uh, a storyteller? I said, yeah. I said, what do you do? And what's your name? He introduced me to him. So he goes, he looked around, he goes, I'm a pharmacist. What you need? <laughs> and I found out he literally was a registered nurse, got fired because he had stolen narcotics, had just gotten out of jail, and he was at the rescue mission starting those three s's but by the time the day and night and the next day were over he had his name was curtis he and i had become friends and he was explaining the whole path of how people become homeless how they end up in a shelter and how the healthy ones go this way and the unhealthy ones go that way so yeah and so there's eight s's mark you know that that, that is our new season and we call it life transformation and, and we're really in the hospitality business too that's why it was such an easy slide for me to go from Christian camps and conferences to missions. It's just that we're working with people at different ends of the spectrum. But I, I need to say that the salvation part, uh, that regeneration comes in, but it doesn't necessarily have to start very first. You, you may not make that faith connection or commitment to Christ until you're getting ready to, to get into a house or something of like that. But it, it every in every one of those eight S's, 
community is key. It all happens in community. If you don't have community in every one of those S's, then you, you have a problem. Well, how do you, you know, how do you move into another season? Because I'm, I'm thinking of all these camps, conference centers, retreats, and they're thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to be half the revenue. How, how do you, it's, it's challenging. Things are tough right now. Yeah. Well, sometimes it takes a jolt, Mark. You, yeah. Uh, the jolt, it might be not so easy, and uh, it, it jolts you out of your your position of comfort. I, I think we've gotten comfortable with our lifestyle in so many ministry uh, genres, and, and camping is one of them, and, and it takes a jolt. You know, I'll, I'll be honest about my own situation. 15 years at Christian Camp and Conference Association, and uh, Bob Koblish fired me. Uh, you know, I think he fired me. We, we, we still talk about that. I said, did you really fire me, or were you hoping that I would take that as a hint? Uh, but, you know, I I would not have left. And by the way, Bob and I are still great friends. We eat lunch together from time to time when he's back. Oh, I still in, see pictures of you and him and Scott King. Yeah, yeah. We, we get together all the time. Yeah. But but I would not have left had there not been that jolt to say, you got to do something else. You know, I was, I was looking around. I was kind of turning over the same old pile for 15 years. I guess we kind of get to that point. But um, I probably would have stayed because I was comfortable. And you have to get out of that mode of being comfortable. And, and I would not have gone to rescue missions. But now looking back, I see God's hand in it. And everything I was prepared for at, at, in Christian camping worked perfectly, moving it right into the CityGate network. And those shifts take courage, but sometimes they take a push. Right. Well, I, I, I think it was John Maxwell uh, who said or somebody said, but it, it's good. I may have maybe modifying his quote, but it, it's God will meet you where you stand. But he gets more excited about meeting you where you step. Mm. You could preach that for about an hour. Because, <laughs> I, I, you know, when I when I think about that. There are a lot of people who will stand up and say, we are this. That's what we were founded on. It will not change. And COVID has pushed us to take a step. Will God meet us in the step? Will he meet us in the stand? He'll do both. He promises that we with us always. But it's that step right. that all of us are being forced to consider right now. Right, right. And that's the hard part. Our friend Jeff Lilly, he was the director of Hume Lake. He had a similar situation with his board where they were like, we're going this way and Jeff's going that way. And so he left. And um, he then took a job as the executive director of the Seattle Rescue Mission, right? Great. Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I called him and I was talking with him and, and I said, man, Jeff, what the heck? That is a huge shift. And he goes, I don't know. Think of it this way, Mark. We used to be, if you think about in Christian camping, that was kind of um, a fun resort. He said, homeless shelters? It's the last resort. <laughs> oh, that's radical hospitality. That's the stuff that makes a difference. Well, John, what are some of the options for camps to consider now if they are, if they're pushed out, if they're ready to innovate, if they're desperate, or they're just looking for the options? What What do you think are the things that camps? I, I think it's more than what you could consider. Some are already doing it. Uh, and I, I think it really comes with this mindset of collaboration. Collaboration is key. And you have to get out of that that um, boat 
that you've been in that's you by yourself at the far end of the lake, figuratively speaking, and saying, hey, there's other vessels here. Um, I think every Christian camp should uh, go down to Austin, Texas and visit the community first village and see what they're doing down there and having this whole community. Look at the number of people we have homeless in North America, and there's opportunities to retool to be a community for homeless people and help them in their skills moving forward. I think there's you look at all the human trafficking victims that are out there who need re relaunch uh, uh, places. So you have uh, addiction recovery centers, residential trade schools are some options, uh, uh, racial unity centers. Uh, you know, there's some options there, which is going to be difficult for camps because, uh, you know, camping basically over the years was a white middle class activity. And, and we have to kind of move that to another lo- another place. Uh, I, I look at all the seniors that are out there. Uh, you know, the typical baby boomer has $152,000 saved for retirement. Uh, if you break that down over 20 years, if they live as long as it's projected, it's, that's uh, $7,600 a year. You better hope you have some, some pretty good um, social security, but there are some amazing things that could be done with boomers. We're bringing people to villages where where these people are now in their senior years, but have a lot to give. So I, I, it just, it has to be creativity. And, and, and Jim and Jeff are on here. Uh, I've known Jim for years and, and Jeff uh, since I, I got to CityGate Network. And uh, when COVID hit, one of the things that our missions, and we've been busier than we've ever been because you have all kinds of folks coming into missions, people who were in prison but let go and they have no place to go, or kids who show up at the door and say, dad doesn't have a paycheck and and he told me to come down here and, and maybe you'll feed me and, and on and on. We just needed more space. We need beds. We needed kitchens. Uh, we needed chapels. We needed space that was out there. And we said, you know what? There's a lot of camps that are sitting empty right now. So we've hooked up about a dozen or so. Uh, and and right there in Northern California, you have Redwood uh, Gospel Mission and Redwood Alliance. And uh, let these guys tell you what they've done. Well, that's a great transition because I remember during the early stages of COVID, you and I were talking and I was like, what, what do you think is the opportunity? And you said exactly what you just described. So Jim and Jeff, thank you for being a part of the Inspiring Growth podcast. Um, how did you guys determine what you were going to do and how it would work out? Jim, why don't you start? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where it began. I know John, uh, you know, just we've been, he's been kind of a peer mentor for me for many years. But one of the, the ideas that sparked in my head is, okay, we've got uh, gospel missions, which I'm hearing from our governor, Governor Newsom, that is over capacity and at a dangerous point. So they had overutilization. And then I'm sitting there looking at underutilization. They won't let us have uh, overnight guests there. So I think that's how, and I was listening to, uh, I think I read a newspaper article where this guy said something really hit with me. He goes, you know, he was running a restaurant and he's, you know, trying to figure out how to set up a, a little window at his front door so he could keep his, keep his business open. And he goes, we're, we may go down, but we're going to go down swinging, you know? And, and I thought, you know what? I think I like it with a little twist and that's, we may go down, but we're going to go down serving. Mm. And so I called up Jeff or Jeff called up me. I can't sure who I let him speak from his side, but said, uh, you know, you need beds. We got beds. And he goes, well, you know, 
how, how are we going to, we don't have a contract. We don't have any FEMA funding. We don't have anything. I, it's just kind of irrelevant. It's just, you just come on out. So that way this thing began was meet a felt need. There was a need in our community. There was a resource that we had. There was a need that uh, the gospel mission had to comply with CDC requirements. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much how we launched this thing uh, almost 90 days ago now. Jeff, talk about what it's meant. What what's happened? Well, it was you know it was, it's really significant. Um, it, it was a certainly a cultural shift for us. Uh, I I'm on the same page with Jeff Lilly. I think we both got it from John Ashman that uh, it was a great fit because uh, Alliance Redwoods is a nice resort and we are the last resort. And uh, initially, there was a lot of uh, uh, skepticism by the people that we serve. Uh, the idea of going, you know, out into the middle of nowhere, into the woods where we don't have any contact or communication, and it'll be frightening out there with all the wild animals, et cetera. And and as as we convinced them that no, this might be a good idea, folks went out to the to the camp, and immediately it was a huge change. There was uh, there was fresh air. There was distance. The social distancing was very easy because. There were, I, I don't know how many acres you have out there, but all full of, of redwoods and trails, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, uh, Jeff, just, just for distinction, we're talking an sure. inner city rescue mission with concrete. We're talking a redwoods located camp. And you're taking people off the street and putting them back on their feet in a place like a camp or treatment center. Absolutely. And the other significant change was, you know, in a rescue mission, there's a lot of participation with everybody. There's program members and they're engaged in service assignments and the guests even are invited to to come and participate in in activities of the mission. Well, we went out to the camp and and the, the camp staff treated us like campers. And so we were, we were, you know, loved and cared for and and ministered to and and treated as though we were you know any church camp that came out and all of our needs were met well the, the folks uh, it was a radical change for everybody that was involved and uh the stories we started hearing from folks after being out there for 30 or 60 days people saying this is the longest i've been i've been sober ever in my adult life mm. this is and a significant change taking place in people's lives. You know, eventually some of the, uh, you know, some some of the allure of being out in the woods wears off, you know, and people then, you know, start experiencing a little entitlement that, that you might uh, might expect. But what I would tell you is that just that change of environment was profound for people. And it, it certainly laid the foundation for what could be really significant impact in people's lives over the long haul. Now, how did you, how did you work the partnership? Cause I, I talk to some people and they're like, well, how, who's going to pay and where's the funding and how's this going to work and blah, 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 blah. Well, if I can speak to it, we're uh, um, both of us are just too trusting of each other is the problem. But um, so Jim said, yeah, come on out. Um, we had, no agreement initially, but just come on out. Let's let's 
figure out how this thing works out. And so for our part, we were trying to help them help the camp secure funding from the, the county and the state and the, and the federal government. And uh, we were, you know, working through all the alphabet soup of, uh, of agencies in the, that we were trying to, to reach out to. And I kept running into trouble. So I contacted somebody in, in my sphere of influence that is a, an, an influencer in our community. And so I told them about, you know, the challenge that we had and um, about what it was going to cost in order to, uh, to, to, to serve people. But initially, we thought it was going to be for like a month or so. And I, so I told them it was going to cost a, about $100,000. No, I, I guess I said it was cost, going to cost about $250,000 for us to, to do this for a month. And he said, well, why don't I just pay for it? And and I you know I was stunned and and he said well l- let me think about it and he went to his his family came back he said tell you what we'll commit to a hundred thousand dollar matching gift if you guys can come up with the rest hmm. and so together you know from the camp side and from the mission side we started raising funds and I think we ended up somewhere north of uh, three hundred thousand dollars three hundred fifty thousand dollars maybe to you know to in order to make this thing. Uh, work up to this point. And uh, we're still looking at the possibility of of uh, public funding that, that can help with this. And they're even now wrestling through this and both the city and the county are meeting. And there's some potential open doors directly with FEMA for some reimbursed funds. But uh, for our part, you know, we've we've committed at least through the end of, of July and uh, and so we can, you know, we can help with an, uh, some some more dollars the camp's way. But then the camp had to, they had to make real sacrifices. And so we just kind of brought things together. Some of the value added components that we have, the camp, you know, typically buys all of their food and we don't know how to buy food. So we just get it donated. And so we just brought truckloads of food up to the camp to make it work as well. Jim, what else would you add in terms of the evolution of the partnership? Yeah, because I think uh, one of the early conversations that we had was, you know, we're in the same business. We have the same boss. We're in the same business, and that's Christian hospitality, which is the love of strangers. So there was no shift of mission. It was just a a pivot to serving this particular clientele. It was the love of strangers. And my team was able to quickly pivot to the reality, oh, this is Christian. We're a Christian hospitality nonprofit. And that's what we say. We sum us up. Now, this fit beautifully into that framework. And what I found, though, what I found really significant was the source of funding. When Jeff mentioned that that one businessman gave $100,000, well, another one of our key donors goes, you know, I'll give $50,000. He's a local contractor. And I found our, uh, you know, engineering firm that does work for us. They write at $2,500. And so what I found significant was the business people in the community knew this was a good idea that we've, you know, if we don't depopulate these rescue missions, they're going to have this COVID outbreak. Get, it makes sense. It's just a pragmatic view of let's serve our community. I'll, I'll put my, uh, you know, I'll get my checkbook out for that. So what I found is also high uh, levels of um, just respect for who we are we're not here to, for the community to serve us as a not-for-profit. We don't pay, you know, tax on that property. Well, how do you give back to the stakeholders being the taxpayers in our community? Well, this was a felt need. I had a neighbor across the street walk over and write, and write a $15,000 check and not even uh, necessarily come from the 
you know, evangelical persuasion that that place that we're in, but he believes in what we're doing out there. So what I'm finding is this is a way for us to really, uh, during this crisis, be seen as uh, responding with Christ's love, hands and feet and changing perceptions from negative perception of what a Christian organization is to a very positive one in a place that politically is a pretty liberal place. They respect and honor, I think, both what Jeff is doing and what we're trying to do out there, that this is valuable to this community. We appreciate what you guys are doing. Mark, well, it's your show. <laughs> Go ahead, John. I, I was What these guys did is very unique in that they, they did that stepping out. They're creative, but camping people are creative. You know, I mean, my blood. This is nothing that anybody else couldn't do. But what they are doing is not only serving, but they are showing their community what collaboration between ministries is like. And we haven't done that well in Christendom. We have our own little silos in different places, and and we have not really perfected the art of collaboration because their doctrine might be a little bit different than ours in this area. And, and, uh, they have roots in their ministry that we don't want to go. I, I, um, when I made this rebranding for CityGate network, I, I, um, crossed something off my bucket list. I was speaking at the London city mission. Like that night I went and got on a train, took a train down to Portsmouth, got on a boat. And the next morning I woke up on the shores of Normandy. And I walked the, the battlefields where the D-Day invasion was. And there was a picture that gripped me every time I saw it. And it was in multiple places. It was the English Channel on the morning of June 6, 1944. And when the Germans looked out of the pillboxes and, and the, the fog cleared away, they saw the largest armada ever assembled coming to take back Europe from the Nazis. And I looked at those pictures of boats, big ones, you know, battleships and cruisers and personnel carriers, uh, small ones, tiny ones, and, and uh, all, everything in between. And I, I looked at that and I said, that's the, the sea of, of ministry that we are all on these days. And those boats represent all of the organizations that want to do something. The only problem is... In our world, all of our boats are on a different battle plan, and sometimes we even shoot at each other. How can we make collaboration a, a, a buzzword for us so that every day we're being creative and looking at who else can we collaborate to make a difference in, in, in the kingdom of Christ? As we wrap up, John, thank you. That's a great illustration. I'm glad you were able to check that off your bucket list because it's making it different. It is a... Um, it's a rock in an ocean that waves are rippling out over. Uh, before I give you guys a last a chance to say one last thing, uh, I want to respond, Jim and Jeff, to what I heard you say in a way that uh, I hope is encouraging and inspiring to you, camp, retreat, and conference leaders. It's this. I, I read a little teeny booklet once by Henry Nowen. It's called The Spirituality of Fundraising. And in that, I learned that money follows vision. And you guys had a vision to collaborate and to care. To take what typically is a paid for by a wealthy middle-class family and collaborate with somebody that couldn't afford dinner. And together you provided hospitality 
and to hear that when some person, an individual, not a government with a bunch of letters after them, but an individual heard what you were doing, it inspired them to be generous. And generosity breeds generosity. So to hear that 100,000 turned into 300,000 into serving the guests at an empty camp and an overflowing rescue mission, folks, this is the kind of innovation that we have an opportunity to initiate and to engage and to ultimately transform people's lives because nothing happens at an empty shelter or an empty camp other than depreciation. So folks, I really hope you'll consider reaching out to a rescue mission, going to citygate.org and looking for rescue missions right by you or you rescue missions going to Christian Camp and Conference Association and looking for a camp right by you and have a conversation, have a Zoom meeting, do something, dream big. Because there's only three ways we can fund what we're doing, right? Guest fees, donations, or miscellaneous. Whether it's government grants or something else. So this is the time when we are shut down or limited to find people who will see our vision and give money to that. So thank you guys. Jeff, uh, with you, is it, do you have any last words of encouragement for your fellow rescue mission folks? I just say, just build relationships. Jim and I have had a long, long relationship and, and build relationships between uh, different ministries and, and uh, fruit will come of that. That's great. How about you, Jim? I say just, in, you know, what I found in over through this and in many other experiences like it is, if God is in it, God has a way through it. So that's what I'm, I'm learning is I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not that shaken by this. I'm like, this is an adventure we're on. God is in it. God has a way through. And if he's not in it, it's not worth going through anyway. Yeah. That's the adventure, I would say. John? Our website is citygatenetwork.org. Uh, and um, I just want everybody to know, because I'm sure there's some camping people who know me from days gone by here. I am still a camping guy at heart. Um, uh, you can take me away from the camp, but you can't take the camp out of me. And I'm still in the hospitality business. Uh, and I think this collaboration is key. Uh, I know camping people well enough to know that they are creative and flexible. I think we add the collaboration to that to have a perfect trifecta. So keep at it, folks. Great. Well, thank you very much. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspiring Growth Podcast. I just want to remind folks, rate and review the podcast on whatever you listen to. Give us a five-star rating. Write something that would encourage somebody to listen to the podcast. It's uh, one of those things that really gives Google juice. And if you want to have a little power in the world, you can do that by reviewing the podcast. And also, as we close, I just want to remind you, the three things to help us connect and inspire relationships that grow way deep into collaboration, just like we've seen illustrated with Jim and Jeff, and that's this. Be kind, be present, and ask good questions. I'm Mark B. Fisher, your Chief Encourager with Inspiring Growth.